Hey everyone, this is Josh Itzo, author of The Fiduciary Formula, and you're listening to The Fiduciary You Podcast, where I share the latest information on corporate retirement plan trends, ideas, and best practices. On the show, I feature industry experts across multiple disciplines to get their unique perspectives and actionable insights about what it takes to navigate the complexities of ERISA and provide a great retirement plan for employees in a rapidly changing world. If you're a retirement plan decision maker at your company or a retirement industry professional, this podcast is for you. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 26 of the Fiduciary You podcast. My guest today is Alex Assley, who's the managing principal of AFS 401k Retirement Services, as well as the current president of the National Association of Plan Advisors. Alex needs no introduction in the industry, having been named as one of NAPA's top retirement plan advisors under 40 since the list was launched in 2014, as well as the Employee Benefit Advisor Magazine's Retirement Plan Advisor of the Year and 401k Wire's Top Retirement Plan Advisor of the Year Large Market in 2012. Plus, he's a talented musician and just a great dude overall. He's like the Tom Brady of the retirement industry. He's pretty much got everything going for him. I had a blast chatting with Alex, and we went a little longer than usual to cover a wide-ranging number of topics. I've always had a lot of respect for him and his firm, but I walked away even more impressed after this conversation. On the episode, Alex and I discuss how the fiduciary advisor role has evolved over the years, why he's chosen to stay independent in the midst of a frothy M&A environment, the financial wellness offering he and his team created called MoneyNav and his content series, Money Hacks, the brewing battle for employee advice and who's best positioned to deliver it, how to segment clients based on size and scope, his two to three strategic priorities for his firm and his team, as well as for his clients, and some awesome additional tidbits on practice management. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Fiduciary You podcast. Alex Assley, welcome to the Fiduciary You podcast. Thanks for being a guest today. Yeah, my pleasure, Josh. Thanks so much for having me. We're going to have a fun discussion. We were just prepping before the recording started, and I think we got a lot of really good topics to touch on today. You are, I'm not sure how much we've ever competed head to head back in the day, but we're in similar proximity. You know, uh, you're in Northern Virginia. I was in Baltimore in the Green Spring days and whatnot, but you were always a guy that I had tremendous respect for in terms of, of what you had built and just really kind of a rock star um, in terms of uh, from an advisory perspective, but then a lot of the leadership that you've provided uh, in the industry with Napa and whatnot. So for those of you that, or for those that may not, you know, fully know you, your background, why don't you just talk a little bit about your firm, how you got into the business and, and, you know, what that looks like. Sure. And, you know, obviously the, the respect is mutual. I remember, so I run AFS 401k retirement services. We're in the Washington DC area, not too far away from where, where you are and, and where you built and, and led Greenspring, probably 60 or 70 miles or so. I remember one time we got together, this is years ago for lunch. In Columbia, right? I was thinking about that yesterday in preparing and I, and I was thinking, I, I, I'm pretty sure I ate a salad for that lunch. And I was like, oh, that was kind of like a, you know, like passive way to go in for a meal. I was like, oh, I'll just have the salad. And, and you know, I, we, we had a good conversation, but I don't think we were like perhaps as open with each other in terms of like our businesses and what we're thinking. It was, it was one of the first times we got together, but uh, since there was then, a we, dance, I remember that too. It was very much <laughs> like, you know, we're like playing poker, like who, you know, yeah. who's going to put their cards down on the table. Since then we've got to know each other, I think relatively well. And you're right. I mean, over the last 15 or 16 years, as we've both been in this business, I, I can't really think of 
an occurrence where we're actually competing with each other on a new opportunity where we're both, you know, which is interesting in so much as we were geographically very close, but also shows just the amount of opportunity there is for retirement advisors in our industry. And so I started in, in 2006 at AFS and like nearly everybody I think that I talk to or almost everybody who tells the story of their their origin is, well, I kind of got into this by accident. There are components and experiences in my life that are perfect alignments, in my belief, to the work that we do as retirement advisors, helping organizations create awesome retirement plans and, and, and more importantly, helping their employees improve their financial lives. But in terms of actually getting into the business, it was somewhat luck and, and, and foresight. My, my business partner who, who hired me back then, who was my boss, had a, a really well-established wealth management and, and financial planning practice that he was growing and building. And he had a couple of retirement plans. And, and this was back in 2005, 2006. He had the, the foresight to you know, see that it was very difficult, if not impossible, to be a great financial planner and a great retirement consultant. And to do that, you needed to have a specialization to, to really make a difference in the in the retirement plan ecosystem. You you had to focus and specialize. And so he hired me, you know, and, and took a risk and took a chance to to try to build the retirement plan business. And for the first I, I knew what 401ks were and I knew, you know, the the smallest amount about retirement plans. And the first 24 months, I spent nearly every waking hour educating myself. And it, 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 was, it was kind of the reverse of what the normal process is for our DCIO and vendor partners that reach out to us and, and, and try to build relationships with us for building their own you know, products or, 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 or sort of distribution of you know, their funds or their platform. I was calling wholesalers and saying, hey, can you meet with me and just tell me what I should be learning and what I should be reading and who I should know? And fortunately, anyway, I, I'm sure a lot of them thought, who's this 22-year-old kid who looks like he's 17? <laughs> Is it worth spending a little bit of time with them? But fortunately, there were a handful that really, for lack of a better phrase, took me under their wing and, 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 and spent a lot of time and energy mentoring me and, and giving me the roadmap at the time to try and and build and create a business, a company that was solely focused on delivering fiduciary advice to companies and their employees within uh, their their 401k and 403b plan. Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, that, that your origin story is is you know almost identical to mine as well. You know, we started Greenspring late 2004, early 2005. And I kind of stumbled. We were private wealth focused and I stumbled into 401k in 2006. And yeah, I mean, the story is, is, is almost identical. You know, back then, the story that, that you were learning to tell and craft and kind of formulating your beliefs, I think that's one of the most important things for advisors is that get a lot of advice, but ultimately, like you have to identify and determine and think critically about like what you believe and then, you know, build your practice based on, on those beliefs. And, you know, I, I remember the first 24 months, I mean, I, I had this differentiated story that I was kind of, you know, iteratively building, 
back then it was super differentiated, which was good because it's a lot harder to differentiate stories now. I mean, you, you go on websites and everybody says they do the same thing. But the challenge was it was such a different story that it was hard to tell. I remember sitting, you know, I, right. I, I, I still look back those first couple of years, plans that I should have literally knocked out of the park, you know, that I would like walk out of the meeting and with the decision makers and I'd sit in my car and I'd like punch the steering wheel. Cause I'm like, how did I not communicate? Like, this is such a better mousetrap that I'm building. How did I not communicate it? Well, and it was easier. I think back then, cause the market hadn't evolved. It was still the early days. I think it was easy mm-hmm. to kind of like make mistakes back then and kind of learn from those mistakes just because the market hadn't started to mature over the past five or seven you know, 10 years, it's definitely accelerated. Those early years were probably a good time for you and I to get in the business because we were able to kind of make mistakes without, it's like my kids, I have four kids, you know, I want to put them in a position where they can make, I want them to fail, but I want them to fail fast Mm -hmm. and I want them to fail forward. And I want them to fail in a way where I've still kind of constructed the, you know, the boundaries so that they, you know, they don't blow themselves up, if you will. And it was easier back then, I think, than it is now where the market has just, you know, it's, it's evolved. And so maybe talk a little bit about how you've seen the role. You know, you've, you, you're, you, you're really, I would say very, very uncommon in the industry because you have a tremendous amount of experience. You know, you've got 16 years of experience, but you're only 38 years old, not to, not to out you on the podcast, but you're, you're really young within the industry, but you've, age-wise, but you've got this tremendous amount of experience because you've been doing it so long. How have you seen the role of fiduciary advisor, you know, change, let's say over the past five, seven, 10 years? And how would you describe that role today and where you think it's going to evolve to over, let's say the next five to 10 years? Well, there's no question that our role has become much bigger and and more expansive in serving as the go-to resource for helping an organization, helping the retirement committee around all aspects of the retirement plan. And, you know, for for our team at AFS, we embodied that really early on from day one. And that was different. Just like you were saying, you know, our our, our service model was was different. And now we've refined it, we've enhanced the, the services. But, you know, in 2006, 2007, we were thinking about fiduciary consulting, mm-hmm. about retirement plan consulting as this full scope service model, helping a client really with anything and everything that comes up when it comes to their retirement or financial benefits. And so now you see that most, if not all, of the top advisory firms around the country are embracing or have embraced a model right. like that. Going back to your first point, I think I still think that for those who are earlier on in their career or just starting in in this area of of their business, there's still a big opportunity set. I, I mean, one of the things I think that made us very fortunate, at, you know, our team and yours respectively, is that when you are first getting started, it's easier to build and and refine and evolve a service model when you have two or three or four clients compared right. to 50 or 80 or 100 or 200 clients, right? To, to make a big change in what you're delivering or roll out a new you know, service initiative across 90 or so plans, 
that's a much bigger lift than than to say we're going to work on this with these five plans. And so I think that that's still an opportunity that exists today for for advisors that are getting into the into the space. But for those who are getting into the space, I think you have to be much more hands on, much more of an expert across these different areas, these different service lanes of a retirement plan. Whereas it was very common 15, 16 years ago that advisors could focus solely on building and maintaining high quality investment menus and the record keepers and or TPAs would do the rest. Now it's this real collaborative process. I, I like to think, and this might be romanticizing it a little bit in, in some way, but there's a movie that came out, I guess, probably now 10 or 15 years ago called Michael Clayton with George Clooney. I don't know yep. if you remember that movie. Awesome film. And he's he works for a you know big global high-powered law firm, and he's like right. the fixer. And which, you know, that's not necessarily the most sort of positive type of position or role. But I tend to, again, this is like yeah. romanticizing the work that we do. I, I always think of like the work that we're doing as as the fixer for retirement plans in an ethical and moral and, and aspirational way. But that our job is to be that primary driver of running a high quality, efficient, compliant and valuable program for our, our clients. And when there are challenges, when there are roadblocks, when there are issues, becoming that fixer and, and, and finding ways to solve those challenges, solve those problems and, and resolve them for the benefit of their employees to create, you know, this path yeah. so that employees can can really improve their financial picture. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that, you know, again, similar kind of story. I was in the early days of building Greenspring and I don't know about you, but, and again, having left earlier this year, but we had refined and honed the service model very much over time, but it still looks, I mean, the core foundation, I bet 90% of like what, when I left, we were doing for clients still looked a lot like what we were doing. You know, I was doing in 2006, 2007, when I was kind of by myself and, and trying to figure it all out because those principles, those kind of first principles that you, you talk about, you were early, we were early. But I, I, I think good process should really, in some ways, be timeless. And, you know, trying mm-hmm. to find, I was kind of like you, I would, what I wanted to be was that fixer for clients, right? I wanted to be that first call. In many cases, even just being able to quarterback when issues came up, being able to kind of quarterback the process, get everybody in the room, make sure that there were open lines of communication, honest conversations, and then really kind of project management, right? Here's who's going to take this. Here's who's going to take that. This is what we're going to do. And then just make sure that those things get, you know, I used to always say to our team, you know, it's a pretty simple business. Just, you know, keep your promises and do what you say you're going to do. It's not that hard. But what was interesting is when you take that more comprehensive approach, you find issues that you can kind of learn on the job. And if you've got a really good, mm-hmm. you know, I used to always say you got to have a mind of an elephant. You come across an issue. I loved when we found issues that we had never come across before because it was a really good learning experience to be able to take that and then apply that in, in, you know, future opportunities when we came across those issues. But when you fix or help an HR team resolve an issue or a CFO, you build tremendous client loyalty. They don't think of you as like the 401k advisor. They think of you more as like, this is a trusted advisor to our business that when we have issues, you know, they help us get them resolved the right way 
so that we can focus on running the business. Would you agree with that? How did your approach impact the, the quality and depth of your relationship with your clients? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it builds these, these deep, strong, and long-lasting relationships. It's also incredibly right. rewarding. You know, I, I think the reason that the service model, by and large, at a, at a macro level, looks the same over a longer period of time is, is you use the word principles. I, you know, you, you could call them values, but those are these, you know, threads of our mm -hmm. character that we believe are the absolute right thing for for the the clients and the investors and savers, the employees that we get the you know the opportunity to work with, and so these beliefs that turn into values or principles shouldn't really change how they're delivered and, and perhaps the the technology and the look and feel of the delivery mechanism and, and, and how we're providing that service relationship will always evolve and will always be refined. But at the core, you know, ensuring that you have a, a really efficiently run retirement plan, that you're doing it in a way that's aligned and in compliance with the rules and regulations and, and from our perspective, we believe the the central theme of the entire, you know, 401k or 403b construct is how you're helping employees enhance their financial know-how and giving them the tools and resources and, and, and counsel to be better educated when it comes to their money so that they can make really wise decisions for today, tomorrow, and for their long-term financial future. And our ability to deliver on that and execute on that, again, not only creates these, these great relationships with companies and organizations and individual investors or employees in the 401k plans, but that creates this fuel for our team where we, you just, you know, it, it, it's the reward that we get to recognize of seeing right. the impact on how right. we've made a difference. Yeah, I like to describe it as, right, you work for the thank yous you're never going to hear right? in, in a lot of ways when it comes to participants. You know, I, I don't know. You know, you've got many tens of thousands of participants across your client base that you touch, that you impact, that you, you know, that you both directly, but but probably more indirectly influence and impact over time. You know, you're not going to be able to know every one of those people by name. But that's one of the coolest things about this business is that you can do a lot of good. You can do well, but you can really magnify. That's why I got in the, the 401k side. Like, I, I loved our wealth side. I have tremendous respect. And we'll talk a little bit about this later on, I think, in the show. But for the private client side of the business, but one of the things that really attracted me to 401k was I was like, you know, maybe I could influence 50 or 75 families on the private client side, but I literally could impact tens of thousands of people by mm -hmm. really helping committees. That was my big thing early on because it was just me. Probably like when you started out, right? We were, we were chief cook and bottle washer. We did everything. And I just didn't have the bandwidth. I didn't have the capacity to do a lot of one-on-one -on -one participant stuff. And so the approach I took, um, and I, I know it was similar with you, was if I can influence the three to five se to seven committee members who kind of make all the decisions that are gonna impact their employees, I get a lot of leverage, I get a lot of scale. I influence three to five people that are responsible for 100 or 200 or 500 people. There's a really, really big impact from that perspective. So you, you really got onto this kind of financial wellness thing, I think, early on from the advisory side. I actually had the chance to interview Liz Davidson from Financial Finesse 
this summer who was awesome. And I called her the OG of, of financial wellness. I think she coined the term like in 1999 or 2000. But you were, you were early on to this and you built a couple of really cool things. So you built, I think, your own customized wellness solution called MoneyNav. And right. then yep. you do these awesome money hacks, which essentially are like these, these really good videos, high quality videos on different topics. How, what, what number? I mean, you've done, it's got to be over a hundred money hacks. Well, like, where are you? Not quite. So we're, I think we've, so we started money hacks in 2019. Okay. I want to say we were doing some other video content before that, but we, we officially started the money hacks theme or brand in 2019. And we're right. We're getting ready to touch a yeah. hundred. I think we're in the, like okay. the high eighties right now. So if I uh, can crank a few more out here before the end of the year, maybe we'll get to a hundred. Our goal was to do 26 a year, basically one okay. every other week. And so we're, we're pretty much on track. Uh, we're a little ahead of track actually. And, and the idea is that, so, the money hacks videos that that a lot of folks see on on LinkedIn or Twitter or other social platforms are these anywhere from one to the longest might end up being around four minute videos on various topics that are curated out of all of the conversations and questions that we get in our one on one coaching sessions, and some are time sensitive or time you know timely based on what's happening in sort of the news around personal finance. Others are these questions we get over and over about, you know, should I do pre-tax or Roth or why do I even need to update a beneficiary or, you know, should I be, what should my investment allocation look like? So it's our way of, of trying to dispel some of the assumed complexities that exist in, in personal finance and, and, and make it really simple, down to earth and aspirational and deliver it in a, in a medium that is easy for somebody to access and, and, and consume. But you know the 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 very quick backstory there. I, I've talked about this before, and and it's in sort of different videos that we've put together. I grew up in West Virginia and Southern West Virginia, and you know had a wonderful wonderful childhood. I played a lot of sports. I know you were a athlete, college baseball player, yeah. right? Long time, you know, long time ago, about yeah. forty pounds ago. <laughs> <laughs> we can get out on like the men's league, you know, maybe this weekend and see that trick hammy will come out. I'm, I'm not sure that's a good idea. I'm not sure that's a good idea. <laughs> Getting old. So I, you know, I, I had a, I had a, I had a really, you know, like almost like Norman Rockwell type childhood, frankly. I mean, there, it wasn't all, there were, there were periods that were challenging. My, my parents got divorced when I was a kid, but it was a great, you know, they remained very amicable and friendly, but when I was 17 years old, my my father unexpectedly passed away. And as hard as that was and, and traumatizing as that was, he was also really the primary sort of financial manager of, of our family. And it was a real shock to the system. And, and over the course of the next couple of years, at, at 17, 18 years old, just like the vast majority of kids going through high school and into college, you don't learn a lot about your money, you know, finances and how to manage money and how to make good financial decisions. But I also realized that my mother, who's an awesome, awesome mom and, 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 and just, you know, gave me everything as a child, wasn't really good at managing money and, and understanding cash flow and budgeting and, and all those sort of things. And, and she was, thrust, but she was thrust into this position, right? Right. Yeah. And, and so that was, you know, there was a lot of financial stress and financial worry in, in our household. 
and so, you know, but to be honest, we're probably better off than a lot of families that, you know, around the country. So over the next couple of years, as I went to school and was in college, that continued, that persisted. But I also realized that a lot of people face the same thing every single day. In fact, you know, there are a lot of households, a lot of families where neither of the, you know, parents really have a good handle on mm. financial literacy or financial know-how. And so I, I started to get more interested in the financial services industry while I was in college. I had some exposure to it. My father was actually in financial services industry. My uncle still is today. But I, you know, you, you see the guitars. I thought I was going to do something else, like maybe play play music or something more sort of artistic or play sports. But I kind of wasn't, you know, I'm only, uh, you know, 5'10". Maybe if I was in like a stat sheet, they'd give me 5'11". Right, you know, right. They'd, they'd do that up a little bit. <laughs> but anyways, so... As I found this retirement plan, this 401k industry, the ability to, to help people who will never have their own financial advisor, never have their own personal financial advisor, to be able to deliver education and guidance and advice to them in a way that can make a profound impact on their lives and their, their families' lives was just this you know incredible opportunity and an incredible experience that like really kind of align right with my heart right. and, and where like I, I thought, okay, this this has a lot of sort of symmetry with what I've experienced and and where I think, you know, I can make a difference. And and so even very early on in in, in growing AFS 401k and trying to grow AFS 401k, we we collectively centered around that mission of financial education, fi- what is now defined as financial right. wellness. And we're delivering that in 2007 and 2008. And that's evolved significantly. We spent probably a nine or 10 year period looking at all of the different tools and, and platforms and, and, and financial wellness solutions and technology and fintech out there. And there's a lot of great solutions. And I, and I think one of the things that we'll, we'll get into a little bit, I think, is that I don't believe there's only one way to do this. I don't believe that there's only one platform, that one is better than the other. I think what Liz Davidson has built at Financial Finesse is incredible. I think that, you know, things like Educate and Smart Dollar, I'm, you know, giving some free press to all these different fintech solutions or financial wellness solutions. I think there's this, they can, we can all coexist right. because they all, they all can play a role that, that delivers on my mission, which is helping more people than ever before improve their financial know-how and and have access to a partner to an advocate that will put them on the path to improve their financial life and cre- create and gain financial security as we analyze all these different platforms and all these different financial wellness solutions that's a baller mission by the way too <laughs> just to be able to for advisors listening you better step your game up if uh, you compete against Alex and 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 AFS cuz if he's in there telling that story that way it's going to be tough to beat. Well, the cool thing is that I think that there are a lot of things that make me unique, but there are a lot of advisors that have their own their own stories and experiences that are doing the same thing. I mean, there's, you know, when I talk to our peers and colleagues, you know, I think the vast majority of, of advisors in our industry have this real big heart and, yeah. and belief to help people. 
And, and that's really incredible. And all these other things that we do follow that. And it's really um, that personal story, like, like the, and I really appreciate you sharing the, your backstory. Um, because I think that's ultimately, you know, the business that we're in, tools and tech and all of those things are great. And, you know, robo platform, all these things are, they're very good tools and in the hands of, the right people, fiduciary advisors that are skilled craftspeople, those tools can really improve things on the margin. But at the end of the day, you know, this is always going to be, I think, I don't see tech replacing advisors. I see tech being able to enhance the way advisors mm -hmm. work, but there is still always this, this one-on-one -on -one connection. And I think that, that, that story that you, you just told too really kind of humanizes. A lot of times people think these financial advisors is we, we want to sound really smart and we want to use all these complex terms that confuse the heck out of people because it's more about status signaling and we want people to think how, how bright we are and that we, in some ways, we want to confuse them so much that, you know, they feel like they need to hire us, which is actually the, the exact opposite thing you want to do. And, and you touched on it before is, Woody Guthrie, I've often said this on the podcast, right? Said that, you know, simple to make things complex, but a true genius knows how to make the complex simple. And I think that comes down to that, that one-on-one -on -one interaction. And you're right. I think one of the most important things for advisors is, you know, to figure out like, what is your story? And you hear Simon Sinek, you know, find your why and whatnot, but, or start with mm -hmm. your why. And I think that, I think that's, that's really important. I'm, I'll give a quick little shout out. Holly Knight, who I don't know if you know Holly, but she was down at the Wealth at Work conference in Nashville that we were both down at. And uh, I think she's at Sapers and Wallach, I believe, is the, the name of her firm. But she's she's like their director of financial education. And she's built this really awesome using tech that she didn't build, but I think she uses WealthSense or something like that. But she's built this really cool experience. And I'm actually going to have her on the podcast in a couple of weeks because when she talked about her her story, and just to give a little preview, like I, I think she was like homeless at one point in high school. And it's an incredible story that she has. And I was like, you have got to be on the podcast because more people need to hear about your story and how that has put you in a position to do the things that you do, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. I think our industry is an interesting one where we're really impacting the lives of, of everyday working Americans. But from the outside looking in, most you know, the, the sort of the general public doesn't really understand what, you know, they think financial services and they think Wall right. Street and some of the, some of the movies that have probably not yeah. been in the greatest light. And, and so, you know, I think that's one of the challenges. This is There's a, a lot of George Clooney's, think, right? In the yeah. financial <laughs> services industries and not the, not the good yeah. connotation. But of I picture. think that's a challenge. You know, you're talking about, I've been incredibly fortunate and very grateful for all of the support and mentorship and, and opportunities and, and luck that I've that I've had to get to where I am. And I feel like we're just getting yeah. started. I mean, you know, we have a strategy and vision for the future as well. But, you know, are, we are in an aging industry and bringing in young professionals and young talent can be very difficult for us because of the image that financial right. services has. And, and when you when you go to a conference like you know, Napa or Wealth at Work or others, and you hear the stories of a Holly Knight or, or others, you realize what an incredible, you know, cohort of advisors there is that are, are, are the stewards of, of the work yeah. that we do. But 
you know, so we going back to this sort of concept around money nav, we spend a lot of time looking at all the different solutions out there, all the different technology, and really believe that there wasn't something available today that aligned with our mission, with our values around financial advice, fiduciary advice to employees in the workplace. And so we embarked on this journey to build our own financial wellness platform that's called MoneyNav. And over the course of a you know, five, six-year period, created this, this platform that is a combination of technology-driven you know, financial education, financial guidance, coupled with the human mm-hmm. element, our team of financial coaches and consultants that build customized financial wellness programs for every one of our clients, and then deploy that in a way that matches the client's structure, the client's mission and and internal culture and deliver our services, our our financial wellness through a number of different mediums. But the, the, you know, I think the big differentiator on it and and the part that makes a difference is the one-on-one financial coaching is being able to sit down now over the course of the last several years with tens of thousands of different employees, investors, and savers, and help chart out a strategy for them, not only to achieve and, and, and get on track for financial security and retirement, but to help them navigate the, the top goals and challenges and priorities that they have, and all these other money milestones or life milestones that will happen between today and the day they decide they're ready to cut back or ready to yeah. stop working. Let's talk a little bit about that. And, and, you know, this need for independent fiduciary advice for what I would kind of term the 97%. Michael Kitsis, you know, has has cited a statistic mm-hmm. before, something around the fact that the traditional private wealth RIA firm has done an incredible job delivering really leading edge wealth management, financial planning to about 3% of Americans. Because quite frankly, they've got kind of the resources to pay the fees to hire these types of, of real specialists. But there's still 97% of people who either don't have you know the means to be attractive to most really good kind of fiduciary advisors. And so the ability to bring planning to the masses, he was actually on my podcast, I think he was the third guest. And we talked about how 401k really could be kind of the beachhead, if you will, or the tip of the spear to bring planning to the masses. So talk a little bit about what you think, you know, and, and, you know, there's this battle brewing within the industry, right? You've got private wealth firms that want to get into 401k. You've got retirement plan advisory firms that have these relationships with companies that want to start to get into the wealth management side. Then you factor in record keepers who, quite frankly, have been commoditized, I think, in a lot of ways over the past 10 or 15 years by guys like you and guys like me. Not that they're, they don't play a valuable role, but that role has really been kind of diminished. As you said early on, you've become really the go-to fixer, trusted advisor for your clients. Like when they have an issue, they're picking up the phone and calling you. They're not calling the mm-hmm. RM from, you know, Fidelity or Vanguard or Empower, probably not the first call. They're coming to you. And so you've got record keepers who've between revenue sharing going away kind of in the industry, the move towards what I call the Vanguard effect, passive, 
lower fees, lack of kind of proprietary funds, you know, squeezed margins. They've, they've, you know, they've kind of gotten locked out over the past 10 or 15 years, but they're, I think, coming back with a vengeance. I tell a lot of advisors, like they are playing the long game. You know, you get an empower that buys personal capital for a billion dollars. I saw, read an article a few months ago that said Fidelity was going to hire like, I don't know, 4,000 CFPs, something along those lines. You've got Vanguard who's trying to roll out advice at a, a really low kind of price point, if you will. And so you've got all of these, what I would consider to be frenemies <laughs> that are kind of like battling it out. And, and it's kind of like when you and I went to lunch that one day, right? Like we were there, we connected, it was very cordial. We kind of shared a little bit, but, but we were still a little bit guarded. That's what's yeah. happening right now in this battle to deliver wellness advice, financial planning to the masses. One of the things I'm frustrated about is I'm starting to hear a lot and read articles, but this idea of like who owns the participant, which I think I'm actually doing a video on it later today. I just think is really insulting. Nobody owns, right. nobody owns that. the participant, right? It's not the advisor. It's not the right, the participant owns the participant, but there is this battle for how do you own the participant? You know, how do you monetize the participant? That's another, you know, comment that's often made. Talk about your perspective in terms of, it stands the reason guys like you and I, where we come from, that we think the advice industry, not the, you know, the broad financial services record keeping, but the advice, the fiduciary advice industry is probably the best channel to be able to deliver planning to the masses. Talk a little bit about that and, and you know, why you think that is and how you think advisors like you and others can coexist when you've got now record keepers that are are basically going after, call it the same target market that that you want to go after. Does that make sense? Sure. There's no question that that I believe our model is the best delivery system for helping enhance retirement plans at a at an organizational level and then deliver fiduciary advice at the employee level. But it's not perfect because Individuals are unique and have unique mm -hmm. preferences. And, and I agree with you 100%. The phrase, who owns the, the I, first of all, I, my buddy Joe DeNoyer and I are, are, hate that phrase participant. It just, I haven't used it for years. We, we call them employees or investors. Right. It's just such a disingenuous. Words matter. You know, that, that, I guess that's the point yeah. that words and phrases matter, yeah. right? And so, you know, I think that there's, there's an environment where a firm like ours can deliver one-on-one -on -one coaching, guidance and advice to an organization and their employees. And that 401k plan can still access the education and advice services inside the record-keeping system at a vendor or whomever that vendor is. Because different individuals, different families are going to want to get this information in different yeah. ways. And part of our role as the fiduciary consultant at the plan will be to ensure that the, the committee, the fiduciaries of that plan who are working alongside us, understand the different roles and responsibilities that we have, that the vendor has, how that vendor is receiving compensation, and having a process to determine if that's you know fair, reasonable, and aligned with what they want to deliver. I've always thought, you know, that even going back to just this vendor analysis of comparing one vendor to another, I don't believe that there's anything inherently wrong with a vendor saying, 
you know, if you use some of our investment vehicles, our record keeping expenses are going to be lower. Is that apples to apples with a purely open architecture vendor? No, absolutely not. But I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that as long as everybody involved in that decision-making process recognizes the business model and the the, the economics of how this process right. works. I think the part that becomes challenging or concerning is, is when it's difficult to disclose or document or, or undefined or, you know, if you go back to pre-2012, you know, right, hidden, right? right. Where you just don't even know what these what these payments look like. But I also believe that there's going to be different service models for different yeah. advisory firms. There are there are really good advisory firms that, you know, want to work on building the investment menu and creating advisor managed accounts and, and consulting on plan design. And they don't have the either the teams or the interest right. to deliver financial education or financial wellness. So if they can partner with the right vendor or a third-party platform to do that, and they can manage the process and monitor it, you know, that's that could be as efficient and valuable as a service model as a firm like ours coming in and doing it and, and providing the, the the people and the the resources and the experts yeah. to deliver it. There's there's I think there's again there's enough opportunity. And there are there are there are varying business models and opinions of the companies and organizations that we serve, and and you know disparities in where employees are located and how employees access information. You know all those things make a difference, and it's just kind of matching the pieces up. You know, is it going to become a a battle, if you will? Yeah, I think for for some period of time, for the next few years, it, it's shaking out in this way in which everybody's kind of clamoring over this one this one component of a retirement plan, which is getting access to the employee and their information. And so from our perspective, I always go back and try to center around that mission of how do we help people improve their financial know-how and, and get on track for their financial future. And we, we want to deliver that. We want to be compensated yep. for doing that in a fair way. And if we always use that as, as really our litmus test, then it's a good way to keep us accountable and that we're not taking advantage of yeah you know, like i think there's going to be more scrutiny over employee data and how Absolutely. that employee data it's already starting Absolutely. right how that employee data is being used or misused that in a way that's you know maybe seen as a prohibited transaction under yeah. ERISA uh, i you know i think that I, this is a little bit of a rambling response there but no i think that's a really good i think that is a good point and and you know it goes back to you know, life is all about trade-offs, right? And and understanding, having the 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 what I would consider the kind of the the strength of character and the courage to have these open conversations where and and that role of advisor, I do think that's a good point, is that it doesn't necessarily need to be a kind of a binary either or. It could be a both and end. And in mm -hmm. fact, there there's probably a, an argument to be made for both and end. I think my biggest concern is that, you know, not everybody is like you, Alex, and right, that's willing to kind of have that conversation with a plan sponsor who ultimately probably doesn't have the, call it inside baseball to really be able to vet they're, they're getting, you know, financial wellness. That sounds great, but not really, they're, they're not in a position to know, well, how do we vet 
these different types of service providers, these different service offerings, the compensation associated with it and whatnot. And I think you bring up a really good point. Somebody has to be there. And being the, the fixer, the trusted advisor that you're at, you're probably the person there who can initiate and have those discussions and just make sure that everybody, most importantly, the plan sponsor who's making the decision whether to offer this to their, you know, their employees, that they're in a position to understand what are the potential trade-offs, what are the potential, you know, misalignment of incentives, and then figuring out a way to say, we know what the need is, here's how we're going to source it, you know, whether that's what we do, whether it's what the record keeper does, whether it's some type of combination of both, but ultimately, how do we make sure that everyone's incentives are aligned around that mission of provide the resources to employees based on their individual needs and circumstances. Is that fair? Right. Yeah. Yep. It'll be interesting to see. I agree with you. You know, we saw in the Vanderbilt 403B case where the argument was really around participant data. Is that an asset? Mm -hmm. We've seen it in a couple of more cases and courts so far have been pretty, pretty narrow in their interpretation that, that ERISA talks about, you know, investments, but doesn't say anything about data, which is not surprising given that the regulation is 40 years, you know, 40 plus years old, almost 50 years old. But I do think the DOL is probably going to chime in at some point. Well, I think with this, you know, cybersecurity guidance, I I think that that's going to be, you know, a pathway for the DOL to be more involved in that conversation around how is data being used with respect to a plan or other things that are that are happening using yeah. that plan. Now. And that, that you know, you know, the Vanderbilt case, like one of the non-monetary settlement com- terms was that Vanderbilt had to, Fidelity was the remaining record keeper, basically had to contractually you know, ensure that they did not proactively reach out to participants using their data, that, that it was only a request. And so that, regardless of what the courts rule, I think that will be the trend is is you'll get more plan sponsors that are actually contractually negotiating those agreements with their record keepers over time. It'll be interesting to see it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. These cases, you know, these cases are 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 pretty interesting. There's a lot of things that advisors can learn from these cases to have these types of conversations, you know, with with their clients. One of the things you mentioned that I I thought was good was this idea of how do we how are we compensated and how do we deliver our services profitably to clients? And we talked about ahead of time um, before we started recording, just your, you know, your philosophy in terms of like, you don't peg necessarily a size plan per se, but it's really around, can we help and can we do it profitably? You know, a lot of advisors are really good at working. We talked about this working in the business. A lot of times they don't run great businesses in terms of they think just about revenue and not about profit and profit is engine to or oxygen to a business. But, you know, you've got some thoughts around segmentation. And so, you know, realizing that, you know, you've got a number of plans, $100 million plus, that's a very different market. And I think you had said that kind of your target markets call it maybe the 10 to most of your plans fall in the 10 to not to out you here, but $75 million space. I was basically Greenspring as well. We had you know, a number of really large plans, but also had plans under $10 million. But you're focused on delivering your services profitably while being able to make a difference for clients. So talk a little bit about how you think about segmentation of your client base and kind of matching up 
scope of services to, you know, how you charge for that? Well, you know, we're fortunate today that we've we've built a really nice business. We have great client relationships. And so we can be very thoughtful mm-hmm. about building new client relationships. And while most of our peers in this industry measure, you know, our client relationships by asset size or number of employees. And those are really important metrics to think about when it comes to revenue and and profitability. At the start of a, you know, prospective client engagement, when we're going through that process, you know, a lot of what we think about is how can we do the services we deliver really make a difference and add value to this organization, their employees? And, And is there this match between that organization and and their culture, their, you know, I use that phrase over our mission, vision, and values with our mission, vision, and values. And so that that has to be, you know, connected today. Now, if you go back 16 years ago, as just you and I were both starting our practices, you'd, you know, any organization that had a 401k plan, you would want to, you know, try to try to get if they could fog a mirror, they were a good, you know, they yeah. were part of the target market. They were a good prospect. I remember those days. Yeah. So today, you know, most of our clients are in about 60% of our clients are in either the the nonprofit trade association, mm-hmm. charitable organization space, uh, which, you know, has a big footprint in the, in the greater DC, mid-Atlantic region. And then we have a large, you know, sort of second sector is in professional service firms. And then, and then the remaining amount is, is, is somewhat broad, but they're all companies that kind of had mm-hmm. that alignment. And so, you know, we want to make sure that the services we deliver and the quality and the ex- client experience is consistent whether you're a $400 million plan with 2,500 employees or a $14 million plan with 45 employees. So the, the, service, the services we deliver need to be consistent across that. But we also know that you know, the 45-person company doesn't necessarily even want the same frequency of touch point as as you know the 450 million dollar 2500 person company or has the um, necessarily the complexity right yeah. right or the needs and so we 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 think a lot about segmenting our clients across different service variations of our standardized service model right we again we're we're thinking about everything as consistent objective process around those sort of this, the the way that I would describe it is at a high level we're working on three things helping create design and maintain a retirement plan that aligns with the you know the mission vision and values of an organization working with that organization to navigate all the rules and regulations you have to follow when you're offering a retirement plan and then finally and most importantly delivering a customized financial wellness and advice program that helps employees maximize the the, the retirement benefit and improve their financial right. picture right so that's that's your starting like, that's your starting point yeah, that's the barrier to entry for us. We we want to achieve these three things. If an organization says we we only want two of the three, or or, or we just want a low cost advisor, you know, whatever it might be, then we're probably not a good fit. But then from there, we we work to really build out a project plan, what we call our service plan, and structure it in a way that matches the delivery and frequency of those services up with the expectations and needs of those clients, and 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 so it's segmented in a way. That is driven by the service offering and service model. And, and at the end of the day, the, the compensation that we're earning, and, and as you sort of extrapolate that, the, the profitability yeah. and trying to maintain a certain degree of profitability. And, 
And, you know, we want to be very competitively priced. We benchmark, you know, our, our compensation using a third party on an annual basis for every client. And typically we want to fall somewhere in like the 50th to 75th percentile, you know, so, so about somewhere between 50 to maybe 60 or 70% of, of other advisors are going to be a little lower cost than us. And it varies by client, but, 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 you know, we're going to deliver a lot of value for that pricing model. And I, I extend the same view to, to the vendor relationships as what I kind of think and tell our client relationships is that, you know, we want our vendor partners to be profitable. Our clients want us to be profitable because that ensures you stick that around when they have a, <laughs> yeah, when they have a special yeah. request, when they have, Hey, you know, Alex or, or Jim or Allison, the other consultants on our team, can you do this unique, special, custom thing for me? The answer is always going to be yes. And, and here's how you know, we can turn that around in a week or two weeks because we have the resources, we have the human capital, we have the you know, investment back into our team to do that as opposed to if we were running a business that was really just a, a volume, scalability you know, low cost business. And it was just, we're going to stick to this for everybody. So, so we, we do the segmenting in a way that we're, we're matching up expectations and needs with the service offering, but it's still always based on that foundational. We, we're going to deliver this to every yeah. one of our. So clients. it's about alignment. You're, you're, you know, it, yeah. yeah. I, no, I think that's a, a, and for advisors listening, I think there's a lot of wisdom to take away from the way that not just Alex thinks about the process, but the, even the, the, the depth and quality of those conversations with, you know, with a prospective client, with a plan sponsor, with a company that is just in hearing Alex, you kind of describe that. It's a very kind of simple, as you mentioned, kind of like plain English down to earth, very understandable, like, Hey, that makes a lot of sense to do it that way. So I, I think great thoughts there. You, you mentioned human capital. So, you know, as we kind of start to wrap up here. I've got a, you know, couple of more topics, but could you just touch on what, and you mentioned before that you've got this kind of this, this organizational vision. So, you know, what are the top two or three priorities that you have for AFS 401k, if you think about working on the business? And so maybe over the next, call it, you know, 12, 18, 24 months. And then what are the two to three strategic priorities working in the business for clients, initiatives that you're trying to push forward with the client relationships that you have? When we think of the team that we have today and the strategic initiatives over the next year plus, a few things are at a top priority for us. One is just continuing to create the opportunity and the the culture internally for our team members to become the the best version of themselves both both personally and, and professionally and so that's that's a big challenge for an independent advisory firm is to help create the path for somebody to progress from you know their first year to three years at our, at our firm to being with us for you know seven ten. Especially years. if they're not on the advisor um, track, because the advisor track is pretty. It's pretty advisor easy. It's the more of the non-advisor right? track, and that's what we struggled with at Greenspring right. was how do you create career pathing for you know maybe people who aren't taking the advisor track. But and but you know, I mean, frankly, you know, I think that the 
other roles on our team, somebody who's in charge, you know, we have a director of financial wellness. We have a director of operations. We have client mm-hmm. service associates. We have financial coaches. I have two people who specialize in digital media and content creation. And the team we have today is just, you know, so amazing, especially over the last, you know, now 20 months or so, our ability to deliver for our clients and to continually to improve how we're working as as advisors has just been really incredible. And so being able to maintain that for the long term is is such an important piece of who we are and how we can actually execute and create awesome retirement plans for our clients. So I think about that a lot is, is how do we how do we provide somebody the opportunity to achieve their goals and, and really become the best version of themselves personally and professionally. And as you know, running an RIA firm, that becomes really challenging because there's no you know, I mean, we've tried to formalize training a bit, but you know, we that's we we certainly lean on the support of like Napa as our industry association, of some of the other training platforms out there, and our DCM vendor partners to help us and to help our team members continually enhance their education, continually become experts in different areas, so that we can always be you know the the right fit for our client relationships. And and the second part of that is that as the role of an advisor expands, is being able to have the knowledge and expertise and resources to lead our clients in a lot of these different areas around strategic consulting and aligning all of their financial benefits together. You know, we don't today do anything in the, you know, medical health and welfare type benefits but we're certainly getting involved in those conversations as a strategic partner to their benefits consultant. And we're absolutely getting involved in conversations around different financial benefits. The easy one that aligns with the the benefits consultant is, you know, the HSA sure. of course. As well as you know, thinking about other areas like student loan repayment programs, emergency savings vehicles, and so you know, that's a this whole other area of strategic consulting that that I think we're very well versed in, but takes more time and energy to stay to remain relevant and remain an expert in that space in comparison to the things that we've been doing for the last sixteen years around right. fiduciary governance. Right. So those are the two things. I mean, one is is how do you cultivate this right ecosystem for your team and create the vision for the next several years to so that we can get people who are in this world where professionals are changing, you know, their employer every two, three, four years. You know, how do we create consistency where we're we're building a a buy-in to our vision so that our, our team members are going to love working at AFS because it gives them the path to be the who they want to be in their life. And be there for 10, 15, yeah. 20 years. No, I think that I think that's great. You can give a little shout out. So you're actually looking, I think I I saw it on LinkedIn and I I know I forwarded to my network. You're actually looking to hire a couple of people, right? What yeah, roles so, are you so, trying to hire for? So we're you know, we're we're focused on growth. I mean, the one thing, and I, I say this in a humble way, <laughs> uh, but you know, when you look at our our team, we've continued to reinvest in human capital and and so some of the the retort or criticism that you'll you'll hear in the industry from advisory firms is that well you know financial wellness is is not scalable and so you can't really do it as an advisory firm and and I think that you know I would 
disagree with that wholeheartedly. I think you can, but you just have to invest in the right people and you have to invest and reinvest in, in people. And so, you know, we, we think a lot about the number of clients, a uh, number of client relationships that a consultant is responsible for, the number of client relationships that we have a client service associate, which is a, you know, an internal team member that's responsible for ongoing client service and coordination around that relationship, the number of client of, of plans that they're responsible for. And so, you know, we, we want to make sure that we are properly, if not even overstaffed in a way to, to always deliver on our clients' expectations and hopefully surprise them and delight them in that service model. So capacity, so, capacity so we're, building we're, in a lot of ways is, I think, we, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're, 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 you know, we're looking at to add a client service associate role, which would be a great position for, you know, a young professional who wants to get into this industry Maybe they're coming out of college or maybe they, you know, didn't even go to college and they're just fascinated with financial services or just, you know, a really good, really good person with a great head on their shoulders. It's a position that is one with great potential for for growth and seeing all of the different aspects of what we do in, in this industry. And then the other position is a is an is another consultant role, having someone else on our team that is working alongside Jim, Alice, and myself and 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 leading and managing client relationships. So we're in a again a great position that we're we're able to continue to grow and and that's you know always one of the top initiatives that we have is to to build new client relationships but to do it in a way that's really intelligent around making sure that at our core we're we're continuing to meet that mission vision and values and delivering for our all of our clients that right. we have today right so so if you're listening and one of those opportunities or roles sounds uh, sounds good reach out to Alex we'll, we'll have in the show notes Ways to connect with yeah. them. I'm imagining LinkedIn. Josh will, Josh will get his. Uh, oh, there we go. Okay. Well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get a little side hustle here. So, uh, you know, I might take you up <laughs> on that. So, last just topic before we wrap up is there's a massive amount of MA activity taking place in the industry. P money is, is, is continuing to flow in. You've got in the retirement space the rise of, you know, the what are you know, everybody calls kind of the aggregators, right? Whether it's a, you know, an incredible firm like a Cap Trust or, a, you know, One Digital, you've got Hub, you've got all these kind of roll-up firms that are trying to build scale by acquiring really successful advisory firms. You know, multiples are off the charts right now. You, you know, in particular, I think, and, and having been out down at this conference uh, with you in Nashville last week and Seeing the people coming up to talk, you were kind of like the bell of the ball. Like anybody who anybody who could get you know AFS, you know, on their squad, I think would be lining up. Uh, I made the joke before we started recording that there were a couple of people that you know I think they would have like washed your car, cut your grass, you know, picked up your dry cleaning for you if you would would uh, hook up and join with them. But so far, you know, you've you've kind of resisted, whereas a lot of our peers are. For them, their own, you know, personal situation and their companies thinking, hey, this is a good, good path for us. For for there could be many good reasons for that. You've resisted that so far. I'm sure you get a ton of overtures every week, every month. Why? Why when when you're seeing this kind of convergence, this roll up, you know, the dollars that are being thrown around obviously are significant. Why have you kind of resisted so far and and remained or decided to remain independent? Well. Up until now, I've washed my own car, so that hasn't really been a need. (laughs) (laughs) It is a very interesting period. This 
sort of evolution over the last now couple of years, I think it's gone on for a few years and, and will probably persist for, for a few more, is natural in any maturing industry. And especially when you've had a really good economic environment. I mean, we're seeing this among our clients who are acquiring other companies or, or a couple who've been acquired. It's, it's a natural, you know, I think process in, in a good economic market and as, a, as an industry matures. We're very happy with where we are today and, and the, the company that we've, we've built and that we continue to build. There's no question that the consolidation you're seeing in this advisor space is is very interesting, and and you know I, I'm obviously paying a lot of attention to it, and trying to think strategically around what the next seven, ten, fifteen years looks like in our industry, and how to best position AFS for that period. You mentioned earlier, I'm 38, so I still have. At least two more years to, you know, hopefully be recognized as an under forty. It's all downhill from there, Alex. Um, It's all downhill from there. My body, I already get to feel, you know, my body feels more sore and it's harder to keep in shape compared to just a couple years ago. So, but you know, so I've got a a longer time horizon, and I want to make sure we're being very, very smart and very thoughtful around what would be the best decision for our people, our team, and similarly our client relationships? How can we best mm. serve those two groups, um, which are you know, incredibly important to me, the, the, the people that have all the team members that, that work you know, tirelessly for this mission every single day, and then the organizations and the employees inside those organizations that we serve. And I'm not definitive that one route or another is better than better, nor that you know, staying in RIA is is going to be the best path compared to you know joining a, a larger firm, and and I so so I totally respect the decisions that other advisors yep. have made that can allow them to to achieve their version of that goal. But today, you know, I mean, we've we've been on this path for for sixteen years. I would be lying if I told you that the first you know that it's all been you know an easy path. I mean, the first five or six years. You know the degree of determination and discipline, and, and frankly, I owe a lot of the success to my business partner, who was my boss at the time. That he allowed for such a long runway. Yeah. A lot of advisory firms, after a, a year or two of of kind of trying to get something off the ground, would have just said, "Oh, you know what? We're not going to do it. It's not the right move for us." And so, given all that history, we see our future, and, and we have a, a strategic vision, and 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 think that we're we're just getting started with with where we're taking this. And so perhaps that's one of the reasons we've been a little more measured in, 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 in this process. And so it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. And, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think of myself as an entrepreneur, as somebody who's, you know, uh, a builder. And, and But I also think of myself as an advisor to help more people than ever before that don't have access mm-hmm. to a financial advisor. And if, and that, again, that's kind of the center point of, of all the decisions we make. And, and so that'll be a big factor in, in any decision we make moving forward as we sort of navigate this environment. And then lastly, I, you know, I think it'll just be interesting to see it, you know, you fast forward a year, two, three years down the road, what other entrants are there into the market, whether on the record keeping side or the advisory side that 
will continue to disrupt. I mean, I, you know, I, I look back at how far we've come at AFS and I constantly survey and, and look at, you know, a lot of the, these advisors that are 27, 29, 30, 32 years old and are building incredible yeah. businesses and maybe not yet on our rate on a lot of people's radars. Right. I'm looking back at them, right. And saying, Oh, like I got to keep, I got to go 110%. So these, these folks yeah. don't catch me, but, but I, it'll be interesting to see. Cause I, I think there's going to be more and more independent advisors emerge in the space who, who build, you know, really incredible yeah. service models and yeah. businesses. No, I, I think that's a, a really good take on, on the situation. And you know, the great thing about this, this business is it's not, you know, it's, it's not a monopoly business like, you know, Amazon, let's say, right on on the retail side. I mean, they're 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 uh, a lot of times you've heard about like M and A and convergence. The example I like to use is you know when I started in the in the industry, I started at Morgan Stanley, and at the time there were I don't know ten, twelve Wall Street firms. There may be four true Wall Street firms anymore. And they don't own the advice industry. That's what everybody said was kind of the convergence. Now, be really good firms. Like I think that that there, there's so much opportunity, as you said earlier, that's out there that you're going to see the cap trusts and the one digitals of the world continue to have tremendous success. And I think build really good firms. And and you know, as an advisor, it really comes down to where do I feel like I can serve my clients best, and where do I feel like I can serve you know my team the best. But I agree with you. Like I think I don't see aggregation and M&A and roll-ups is the death knell to independent firms. As a matter of fact, I think there will be plenty of, of potential clients out there that some are going to want the the feeling of, call it safety of a bigger firm, but others will actually want the exact opposite. They want the smaller, the nimble, the more customized, the, the Alex's and the AFS's of the world. So I think there's tremendous opportunity across multiple channels, um, kind of like you. And I think your measured approach is a good one. I mean, you've, you've got a lot of room to run and, and you're in this really good position that you've built something, you know, to scale, if you will. And you've got a lot of opportunities ahead of you. The last question I ask this to pretty much every guest is, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to other ERISA fiduciaries about how to be a better fiduciary? It's a a great question. I only ask great questions, Alex. Yeah. Well, there are a few that were throwaways, <laughs> but that one was great. <laughs> my my view is that being genuine and honest and, and and trying to build that with your clients so that they're being honest and genuine with mm-hmm. you in these committee meetings around what it is that they either individually want to want to see or achieve or or collectively in representing an organization want to see and achieve but you know in a lot of cases i think early on we would we would hold these meetings and and try to walk through sort of the this is what we this is what we should be doing or this is what you know arisa tells us to do which which you should follow sure. obviously but we weren't really having these real honest or open conversations about what were the what were the challenges? What were the hurdles that those committees or organizations were facing? And I think if you're if you're really genuine and honest about why you're why you're doing the work that you're doing, and asking the committee members that you have the opportunity to work with to, to have that same approach, it opens up a lot of lenses around 
creating a better retirement plan and, and creating a plan that really meets the fiduciary responsibilities that we're all tasked to fulfill and, and, and deliver. So if I could summarize what I heard you say there is, is kind of the why is more important than the what. The, the what isn't unimportant, but it's really the why behind it. So I think that's great advice. Where can people stay connected with you and, and with AFS 401k and what you guys are doing? What's the easiest way? Find me on on social, of course, is a good spot, LinkedIn and in particular Twitter. But AFS401k.com, moneynav.com, two sites to check out if you want to reach out or have other questions or feedback or disagree with everything I said and want to you know, send me a love letter. You can do all that. Awesome. There. Awesome. Well, Alex, this has been a, a ton of fun. I think I have just a, a tremendous amount of respect for, for you within the industry and, and not just what you do, but, but a lot of the things you've done to give back to the industry and to our peers. Excited for your success to date, but also, you know, I think uh, what the future looks like for you and for the team at AFS is, is really, really bright and uh, just appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for thinking of me and having me, Josh. It was awesome. I share that same respect with with everything that you've done and you're doing. And, and I love the Fiduciary You podcast that you're rolling out. It's, it's really been Thanks great. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Alex Astley from AFS Retirement Services. If you'd like more information or to learn more, go to fiduciaryworks.com slash podcast. I've got some great resources there for you, including each episode along with show notes, articles, and free tools. Make sure to sign up on the site so we can stay connected. I'd love to help you stay in the know about what's happening in the world of corporate retirement plans. And if you've got questions you'd like me to answer, topics you'd like me to discuss, guests you think would be a good fit for the show, or any other feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Also, head over to Amazon and check out my two books, The Fiduciary Formula and Fixing the 401k. And if you want an easy way to support the show, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help other people find the show, and I read each one. Until next time, thanks again for listening to The Fiduciary You Podcast. Thank you.